Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. We have, we have just been camping out here in Romans 8, uh, and I, I've just enjoyed it. I'm just going to be honest. I've, been, I've enjoyed uh, being able to hear all the messages uh, on Romans 8. When we first got to it, I thought, oh, we'll probably spend a couple weeks here and there. But we have just been able to just kind of devour the Word and just, just hear from the Lord and hear uh, just of His goodness. As we approach Romans 8, it's just a monumentous chapter. It's a, it's a chapter where, where Paul is just, is just giving us such good doctrine. He gives us a lot of good detail and doctrine. But, but the whole basis of it is assurance. He wants, he wants believers to be assured of their salvation. He doesn't want there to be believers that are, that are roaming around this earth that are just going through the, the daily lives just wondering if they're saved, wondering where their status is with God. And so he, he pens this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, for assurance. And as, as you know, if you've been with us, if you've not, uh, well, then you're going to know that over the last few weeks, we've been kind of fleshing out this doctrine of election. And when we hear that, those words about election or predestination, a lot of times these red flags come in our mind. We, we, think, we think of bad things. And that's, I think, because in, in our culture, in our uh, kind of our evangelical world, a lot of times those things bring disunity. We can think of churches closing down. I can think of churches that have split over, over these doctrines. And so a lot of times that's what comes to our mind. We think of, we think of bad and negative things because of these doctrines, but we see that these are truths of Scripture. And we see that Paul doesn't present them, he doesn't wake up, write this letter, and say, I, I want them to have something to argue out. They're going to gather in their holy huddles, and, and I want them to have to argue about this. I'm going to just chuck this in there. This was for assurance. This truth of this doctrine is supposed to bring comfort. It's supposed to be encouraging. It's so that we can know that we are saved. So we can know that we are loved by God. And so we need to, to view this truth the way that Paul intends for it to be viewed. It's supposed to be encouraging and comforting. Every time this is mentioned in Scripture, every time election and predestination is mentioned in Scriptures, it is meant to comfort the believer. And so, so we need to look at it in that way. We need to look at it as the fact that this is supposed to comfort us. This is supposed to be encouraging to us. So as we've been walking through this, as we've been uh, seeing the, the foundation that Paul has laid out for us, Paul knows that this, these doctrines, these doctrinal truths, are naturally going to bring up questions in our mind. Because when, when Paul lays the foundation of the, that God has saved you, God has done this for you, our, our minds go other places. Our minds say, well, that doesn't sound right. No, no Paul, surely there's something that I need to do. What, what do I need to add to this? Paul, let me, let me, just, let me just help. Let me just do something it can't surely be that God would do this for me. I, I know that what I've sinned. I know that my sin is great, so, so I need to chip in. I need to help out. And so our minds say that, that this can't be so. So Paul answers these questions. Now, commentators have often called the questions in Romans 8 the unanswerable questions. And so over the last few weeks, we've been walking through those questions. And so we've, we've done the first four. And today we're going to get to approach the, the final and the fifth uh, question that's in this text. So just as a, as a form of review, we can see that in verse 31, the question was presented, who can be against us? 
we saw that no one can be against us because God is for us. If God is for us, if God has, has sent His Son into the world to take upon our sin, the sin of all those that believe in Him, who can even stand up against that? There's no one that can stand up against it. So we can't even answer it. These aren't even questions that, that we as God's creation can even answer. They're only left for God. In verse 32, we saw that, that if he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he, how will he also not graciously give all things? So, so God is going to be gracious with the gifts that he gives us. God has already given us the greatest gift. The greatest gift was him sending Jesus into this earth to be, uh, for our sins to be laid upon him so we can have forgiveness of our sins. If he did not withhold the greatest gift, he's not going to withhold the lesser gifts. So the things that he is giving us are good gifts, and we can trust in all the things that God has given us. In verse 33, we saw the third question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one can. No one will. Because God has justified his elect through the blood of Christ. And in verse 34, we saw who is to condemn. Now, when we talk about who can condemn, people can, can lay accusations upon us. People can say, well, I know Adam in high school, and he did this, and he did that. Matter of fact, in eighth grade, I saw him go up to the teacher's desk, and he copied the teacher's answers. True story. <laughs> it was my dad. But uh, also true story. So people can lay accusations against us. People can, can bring to us and say, I know the sins that you have. I know the things that you've done. So people can bring those charges, but none of them can stick. Not, none of those charges can, can have any claim on us. No one can condemn us because all of our sins, for those of us that have believed in him, were placed on Jesus. And he died for those sins. And he was raised. And he is currently interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. So there is no one that can condemn us. And so today we are, are going to be uh, in Romans 8. Uh, we're going to be in verses 35 through 39. But if you will allow me, I would like to, to go back and kind of read this, this section again. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to go ahead and go all the way back to verse 28 and, and read from there. And we know that those that that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now that Paul lays those big doctrinal truths, those big things that we must understand, then he goes into verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I, I thank you for sending your son to die for my sin. Lord, I thank you for, for providing a path for salvation, for, for, for securing salvation. Lord, I thank you for saving my heart. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for all the things that you're going to do today. Lord, as we approach this text, Lord, help us to, to humbly come and, and to see you in this text. Help us to approach this text and see how great you are, how in need of salvation we are. Lord, help us to, to praise your name today. Lord, help us to, to see you in a way that, that glorifies you, that magnifies your name. And Lord, above all, help me to say only the things that you would have me say. Lord, I pray that you will have your way in this service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we get to the fifth question. The fifth of our unanswerable questions is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This, like all the questions before it, are unanswerable. There's, there's nothing that we can say to, to really give an answer to this question. It's a question that, that must be handled by God. So we have no ability to come in and say, well, this can separate us. Well, well this can do this. We, we don't have any, any way of stepping in and doing anything ourselves. Because if, if, if God is the one who provided a way for salvation, if God is the one that planned it, that carried it out, and applied it to our lives, then there's nothing we can do to make that love go away. There's nothing that we can, can do that's going to stop God from loving us, that's going to, to take God's love away from us, that separation cannot happen if God is the one that applied it. See, God has chosen whom he will love in this special way, and there's certainly, certainly nothing we can do. That's supposed to be comforting. This is supposed to be something that's comforting. Because I know in my own life, I know in the things that I do, if, if I was to, to walk around just constantly trying to, to just, okay, I have to do this because I, I want God to love me. If I, I can't do this because if, if I do this thing, that, that, might, that might make God stop loving me. That's a, that's a fear. We, we, can't, we can't live like that. We want to live free to be able to worship God, free to be able to respond to the things that God's told us. And we do that by accepting the fact that he's loved us, by knowing the fact that we cannot be separated from his love. So when we do live this way, when we live in a way that we're comforted by this fact, it's going to cause joy in our hearts. It's going to cause us to live in appreciation for what he's done. It allows us to worship God. It allows, him to, it allows us to, to worship in all the things that we're doing. It allows us to see God for who he really is. And so we see this big truth. We see that Paul says that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. And this is an all-encompassing nothing. As we see, we continue in, in, the, in the second part of that, that same verse. See, Paul doesn't live in a box. He doesn't live in this, this, this holy box to where he doesn't see the outside world. He doesn't see anything that's happening. He only sees uh, his apostleship in planting churches. 
No, Paul knows what's going on in the world. Paul, Paul knows the reality is, is that there are bad things happening in the world. There are things that are not of God happening. There are things that, that, that cause life to be difficult, cause life to be hard. And so Paul knows that he's fully aware of how hostile this world can be. Yet he still says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And he lists seven things. Now, many, many theologians think that this seven is supposed to be completion. Seven completion, so literally nothing. There is absolutely nothing, complete nothing, that can separate us from the love of Christ. That may be the case. But if you look at this list of seven things, these are real things. These are real things that are, that are going to pop up in each and every one of our lives. Things that are hard. Things that, are, that we're going to struggle with. Things that we're going to suffer over. And they're real because they, they happen to real people. And so Paul knows that. So we're going to look at these, these, these things right now. Because when these things pop up, the reality is, is when these things pop up in our lives, we have a temptation to drift. We have a temptation to start to doubt God's love. We have a temptation to say, if this is happening to me, that I must have done something to cause God to stop loving me in the same way he did. For this to be true in my life, for this, for this hardship to happen, I, I must have made God mad. Ooh, can't touch that. I must have done something, and so now God's doing this to me. So when, when we have these things in our life, we need to know the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not even as bad as these things are. Not even these things. The first one he mentions is tribulation. Tribulation has the idea of a hard circumstance that's pressing down on us. So something that's really hard that is physically pressing down on you. Uh, and many, many Christians, many people in this room have faced hard tribulations in their life. Losing a job can be hard. If you've suffered any form of abuse, either in your past or, or present, uh, these are hard tribulations. Things that are, that are difficult in life to get through. Uh, many, many people have being diagnosed with severe illnesses, illnesses that are going, they're going to have to walk through the rest of their life, things that are, they're going to have to change the way they do life because of these hard tribulations, uh, losing a loved one, having natural disasters come, and we hear about fires and, and things like this. These are hard tribulations that Christians will face. And so Paul wants us to know that, that these things are real. You're going to face these hard tribulations in your life. And it's going to be terrible. It's going to be hard. But it can't separate you from the love of Christ. You're going to be victorious in this. You're going to get past this. You're going to move on. You're going to be secure in the love of Christ. And so Paul knows that these tribulations are terrible. He doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't dis, dismiss it and say, oh, it's not that bad. That tribulation you're going through, eh, it's nothing. He doesn't dismiss these tribulations. They're going to happen in our lives. But the love of Christ is greater than that tribulation. The next one he lists is distress. Distress can also be uh, translated as hardship. And I think hardships are, are primarily where, where we as Christians in America, this is where we spend the majority of, of our, our struggles. It's being confined within a narrow and oppressive space. It's, it's, it's just some sort of type of hardship that is placed in our lives. When we walk through the normal life, we walk through life, hard things happen right? You, you, you get stuck in a, a job and you, you feel like you don't have a way out. You get too old. You say, oh, I'm too old to, to change careers or, or, or go back to school, but I, I, I can't quit because I've got to provide money for my family. And 
you get bogged down by you just you feel like you're in a narrow path and you you have a family and and you're you're living on a strict budget you can't just go spend money like it's not there so it's 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 a hardship of, of just saying I have to I need to do this you got kids and you you feel like you're being pulled to and from and and you just wish that you could be cloned so one of you can go there and one of you can go here because it's a hardship there there are there are hardships that we that we see in our lives and your your job and you're you're be a good worker. You're working hard, but the boss promotes the the person behind you because they go to the bar together and they're better friends. Those are hardships, the things that that, sh- that really shouldn't happen in our lives, and things that 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 that, that just kind of a, narrowly oppress you. They just 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 distress you a little bit. But they're hardships. They happen in our lives, and when we see those things, when we see that that the light at the end of the tunnel is hard to see, we can begin to start to doubt God's goodness. We can begin to start to doubt about why is, why is this happening? Why, why are these things the way they are? Why, why can I not see God as well in the mundane of our lives? And so when, we, when these things happen, when we find ourselves in these hardships, and we find ourselves in distress in any form, we can trust God. We can trust God that, that we are in these places we're in for a purpose, for a reason. A lot of times when there are hardships, when we can, when, I'm just going to speak personally, when I can get past myself a little bit, when I can get past the, wanting myself to be somewhere else or be something greater or do something else, and I start to kind of see these hardships as, as, as God has put them in, you see people that we can minister to. We can see that when we have joy in these times, the people around us are affected by this joy. And so, how can we view our hardships as something that, that God has purpose for us to do His work and His will? But even though these hardships happen, this distress happens in our lives, it cannot separate us from the love of Christ. He mentions persecution. When we think of persecution, we, we think of someone uh, being killed for their faith, and that's definitely a form of persecution, but it's, it's someone seeking to harm you, someone seeking to actually inflict pain upon you, and in this sense, from because of your faith in Christ, because of your faith in Jesus, somebody wants to inflict harm on you. Now, this can be, this can be just a type of harm where someone wants to badmouth you. They, someone knows you're a Christian. Someone knows who you, who you are. They, they know you go to church on Sundays. You live this Christian life. And they don't like that, so maybe they start to put some rumors out there about you, start to, to badmouth you at work behind your back. And, and yes, there are places uh, overseas and places where where people are being killed for their faith. People are being put in jail for their faith. People are being tortured and abused simply because they have a faith in Christ. They've put their trust in Jesus. And, and we can be tempted to say, oh, well, persecution is something for Christians in other places. But I don't think we should do that. Persecution is real here, and I think it's going to get worse. I think everything we're seeing in culture is a shift to where Persecution in Christians is going to be uh, more normal here in America. And so when it comes, because Paul's saying here that persecution is going to happen, persecution is going to happen to Christians, so when it comes, don't be tempted to sway away from Christ. Don't be, don't be tempted to, to not see Christ or who He is, uh, uh, being our Savior. The love that we have in Christ cannot be separated by persecution. Be encouraged during persecution and know that it cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Famine and nakedness kind of go together. 
It's the lack of food, lack of clothes. Uh, these are terrible things. If, if you've seen on TV or you've seen commercials or on the internet of, of people that are, that are really starving. See, my kids are starving like an hour after they ate a fruit snack. They just are. That's not real starving. Real starving is a terrible thing. Someone who really doesn't have any food at all, that really is not getting nourishment into their body, is a terrible thing. That starvation cannot separate us from the love of Christ. It doesn't matter what, what you're lacking. If you're lacking food, if you're lacking water or clothes, it can't take God's love away from you. Now, the world may scoff at you. The world may see you of having no value if you're in, in some kind of sort of uh, impoverished state. But God sees value in, him, in you because he sees his son. See, while you were a sinner, God sent his son and God chose you and he placed your sins on Jesus. Jesus died for your sins and now Jesus calls you brother and God calls you son. And so when we see this impoverished state, yes, it's a terrible thing. But even Christians that are in, that are in an impoverished, impoverished state, it cannot separate us from the love of Christ. He lists danger. Danger kind of goes along with persecution. We, we hear about Christians who are uh, simply for ho- holding a Bible study or going to a Bible study, that they're in danger of, of being put in jail. That they live their lives currently, living their normal lives that we think is no big deal here. They, they literally can go to jail for that. A jail where they will not be in good conditions, a jail that they probably will be tortured for. They could lose their jobs. They, they could receive every sort of uh, negative social status that could happen to them. It's real danger, and they live their lives in danger. And so, even though that danger is terrible, it's going to be, it's going to be suffering. There will be suffering with that danger. It can't separate us from the love of Christ. And to kind of sum it all up, to kind of bring it to this climax, Paul lists the sword as the last one. The sword here is just to mean death. Now, if you were like me growing up, death scared you. I was terrified of death growing up. I don't know if it was just death or how I was going to die, but I wanted to go at like 110 in my sleep, you know, didn't feel it. That's how I wanted to die. Now I don't think I'm going to make it to 110. That's a long time from now. But death is scary. Death is scary for a lot of people. All over the world, death is scary. It, it is a separator. It separates the living from the dead. But death is not a separator from the love of Christ. It's a separator on earth, a separator in this world, a separator for, for us as we have families and friends. It is a separator in this sense on this world. But it is a uniter with us, with Christ. If you're a believer, death is not, cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Death is actually ushers you into an even greater uh, reunion with Christ and being with him. So at, as we see this list, it lists everything. There is everything you can think of. Everything you can think of right now, though, okay, well, Paul didn't mention this. It's all covered in this list. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you're going through this week, as you're, as you're worried about the things in your life, it can't separate you from the love of Christ. There's nothing that we can have in our minds, any fear that we could come up with, anything that we could, could, could come up with that's grander, nothing. It's all covered in this list. It's all covered 
Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No matter what dark, dark time we're experiencing, the love of our Father is there. It's constant. It's unwavering. And we need to remember that. Because when we have these dark times, we're going to be tempted to doubt. We're going to be tempted to wonder, is my, is my, am I secure with the Father? We're going to wonder that, does God still love me? So Paul wants us to be comforted and says, yes. The love of Christ is there. The love of Christ does not waver. It doesn't go up and down. It's constant. And it's always there with you. Now, some have read these verses, and I feel like I need to point this out. Some have read these verses and have, have drawn incorrect conclusions. Some have read these verses, and they would agree wholeheartedly that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But then they take it a step farther. They would say, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, and therefore, you won't experience tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. And that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying that if, if you are a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that yes, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But he's not saying that and because of that, you'll never suffer. Everything is going to be great in your life. You're going to be blessed financially. Your social status is going to increase. You're going to succeed in your job. You're going to be the best husband, father, you're going to be awesome. That's not the promise that we see here in this text. And, and when, this, when this is being taught to other people, it sounds good. It sounds good for people to proclaim that, that, that everything is going to work out the way you want to. You're going to get everything you want in this life. When our ears hear that, it, it sounds pretty good. It sounds something that, that we want, and, and, it, and it will cause people to, to come in and and, and it'll grow churches numerically. But the reality is, is at some point, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be something that's going to be a hardship. Someone's going to get sick. Someone's going to lose a loved one. Someone's going to lose their job. And when you don't have the foundation, then there's no comfort. And so, so I just want to be clear that, that Paul is not saying that because Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. He's not saying that your life is just going to be perfect. It's all going to work out the way you want to. What he is saying is of great comfort. That even though you're going to suffer, even though bad things are going to happen in your life, things that, that we wouldn't have written down on, on our playlist, even though those things are going to happen, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So we need to be assured in that. We need to be comforted in that. And we need to, to stay away from any type of, of false teaching that, that, gives us, that gives us false assurances. Those are false assurances. But there is a real assurance in here, and we need to hold true to that. So when those things do come, we, we have the foundation to say, this isn't how I planned it. This isn't how I thought this life was going to go. But God, I trust you. Your will is greater than my will. This hurts right now. This is a painful thing I'm going through. But you've got this. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to walk this out. And if I never see it in this life, if I never see it while I'm on this earth of why this is happening, I know it's for your will. That you're going to work it out for your purposes. And so we have that truth that we can hold on to. 
Let's continue on to verse 36. In verse 36, Paul wants to make it clear that these hardships will happen to God's people. And so he quotes a verse in, in Psalms, Psalms 44, 22. It says this, Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is an interesting passage. It's, it's a lament by God's people. It starts with looking back. The first part of the chapter is looking back at all the things God has done for his people. All the things that God has, has done for them, has brought them through so many things, has done these things for them. God has been faithful. He's done these things to work through him, through them. He's blessed them. But now they're in a time where things aren't going well. They're literally being slaughtered like sheep. Now, I don't know what your picture is of, of bad things that could happen to someone. What, what your idea is of, well, that's okay, but that's not, that's not too bad. Being slaughtered like sheep sounds pretty bad to me. Uh, I mean, that, that means that you're not seen at any value at all. And that you can just be slaughtered without any care. And that's, this is what they're saying is these are God's people who are being slaughtered in this way. Now, now, I love at the end of this chapter, though, and I have to read this. In verse 26, the very end of this chapter, it says, they're talking to God, rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Now, I love that, that picture because God's people are crying out to, them, to God and saying, redeem us because of your love. And now Paul is right, pointing back that verse and saying, this is what God has done for you. Because of God's love for you, he sent Jesus to be slaughtered so we can have forgiveness of our sins and so we can be, we can be united with Christ. It's just a beautiful, a beautiful picture that Paul points us back to in, in these things. Now again, I, I want to just reiterate that Paul isn't living in, in, a, in a box where he's this, this high and mighty apostle that, that never, never encountered anything bad. See, if, if you were to turn to 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29, I won't read that, but we see clear that Paul has experienced all these things in his life. This whole list of things that, are, that could happen to you, that Paul's saying that, that all these things are so bad, but none of them can separate you from the love of Christ. We see that in 2 Corinthians, Paul's went through them, or he's in danger of experiencing them, or he will experience it at some time. Countless imprisonments, countless beatings near death. Five times received from the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times beaten with rods, stoned once. Three times he was shipwrecked. I hope that wasn't the same captain. I mean, at some point you've got to ask some questions, right? Spent a night adrift at sea. I can't spend a night outside in a tent. But sleepless nights, cold, hungry, thirsty. Paul experienced suffering in his life. Paul experienced all of the, the terrible things that he has in his list. So Paul is speaking from experience here. Paul isn't just throwing things out there and saying, these are good for you guys. You're going to possibly experience some suffering, but it's okay because it can't separate you from the love of Christ. No, Paul is saying, I've experienced this suffering. I have been beaten. I've been in prison. I've experienced hardships. He's eventually going to face death for Christ. So all these possible separators that Paul lists, all of them are, are terrible. 
Paul experiences them, and none of them, none of them can separate us or from the love of Christ. So in verse 37, Paul transitions. So he transitions from telling us about these terrible, tra- terrible experiences, terrible things that can happen, ways that we're going to suffer as, as Christians. And he says, but you're more than conquerors. Let's read that again. Verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Why doesn't it just say conquerors? Why doesn't it say we're victorious? We're more than conquerors. Now, we're not conquerors. We're not more than conquerors because of who we are. Right? Don't miss what this verse is saying. Don't, don't, don't miss that. If we walk around this earth and say, I got this because I, I'm more than a conqueror. In my own power, in my own will, my own spirit, I, I can accomplish all these things. No. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through the power of God are we more than conquerors. And if we wonder what this kind of looks like, if you're a believer in here, if you've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you have an idea already of what this is like. Because the reality is is that everybody in here, we're all sinners. All of us. The difference is is that some some of us have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus. Some, Some may haven't, I don't know. But when we were dead in our sins, when we, were, when we were sinners, we were separated from God. We were enemies with God. And knowing this, God conquered our sin. And he conquered our sin by placing it on Jesus, who paid the penalty for that sin. There was a separation between us and God. And God conquered that separation. He, he sent Jesus. And so he, could, he conquered that separation, and he brought us into unity with him. We're able to walk with God now because of what God did for us. We're no longer separated from the love of God because of what Christ did on the cross. So when we think about what that conquering looks like, we already know because it's happened in our lives. We already know because it's happened in our own hearts. The, the sinful desires that we used to have that, that, that were everything to us, all of our desires were fully for ourselves, for our own glory, we were selfishly towards that. God has conquered that. He has given us new desires. And so we, we know what it means to be more than a conqueror through him because God's already shown us in our own life. So if God has already taken you from death to life, why would you not continue to be a conqueror of the things of this world? So as we go through the things of everyday life, as we go through these these things that can seem terrible, as we go through these types of sufferings, Paul's saying that you're more than a conqueror in these things. Now, he's not saying that, that these sufferings you have, you're going to fully conquer them, you're going, to, you're going to, to beat it. He's saying that nothing can take away what is really valuable. The most valuable thing is our, is our love of Christ, Christ's love for us. And nothing can take that away. Nothing can, can conquer that love. Now, as we see this, I think that, that God, sometimes because he's so loving and so gracious, sometimes he gives us victories on this earth. There are times where people have been, that have been sick and, and, and they, they get healed. And there's people who are, have a hardship of not getting a job and they, and they get the job. A hardship of, of not being able to make ends meet and God supplies and blesses 
and, and provides for them. And so God has already shown us, he's given us good gifts while we're on earth, while we're here, while we're his people. But more than that, more than that, as Christians, the, the conquering is, is that nothing can take away our love of Christ. Nothing can take away what God has done for us. And so what's really at stake here, what's really valuable, as we see being in suffering, suffering is hard, suffering is, is not fun. But if the love of Christ wasn't there, there'd be no hope. There'd be no comfort. There'd be, there'd be no encouragement at all. See, when we can go through suffering, we can, we can walk hard past knowing that God's love is there. That God has, has stayed constant in all the things that he's done for us. And so in that way, we will be more than conquerors and we will be victorious. And so I think as we view that, we, I think we need to suffer like a conqueror. So when we go through suffering, can we, can we suffer well? And I think that's a, that may sound odd. That may, that may come off as a weird thing to say. But maybe you've been around someone who's done this. It, it, it can be one of the most greatest testimonies you can ever be around. Have you been around someone like that who, who, is, who has lost a loved one, who's fighting an illness that they know is, is going to be their end here on earth? And as you speak with them, they, they have this joy. A joy that is just odd. A joy that, that you can't explain. And that joy is rooted in the fact that, that they know that they're, they're suffering, but they're suffering like a conqueror. They're suffering because they, they know that this suffering can't take away the love of Christ. And I tell you, when we suffer like that, the world sees it. The world sees that there's something different here. There's something going on here. And it gives us an opportunity to say, it's because of what God's done for me. God has shown his love in my life. God has shown his life. And, and even though I didn't deserve it, I was a sinner. God has sent his son to, to take my sin away. The world will notice when we suffer like a conqueror. As we do these last few verses, Paul's already given us this great teaching. If you look back at the entire uh, chapter of Romans 8, even the, the previous chapters, we see just so much truth, so much doctrine, so much sound teaching. But Paul does a little transition here. He takes it to the first person. He says, for I, for I am sure, some say convinced, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul has already laid out the doctrine. He's already laid out all the teaching. He's experienced in his own life. And so he, this he's saying is, my convictions, what I now have seen in my own life, I'm convinced that this is true. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. All the things that Paul's went through, all the things that 2 Corinthians mentions that he's went through in his life, if there was something that could separate us from the love of Christ, Paul would have went through it. Many of you, many, many of us would have already went through it, but the reality is, is there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. So, so how, how big is that margin? Is it, is it God barely, barely making it in? Is it just barely keeping our, his love for us? Is it, is it close? 
And Paul's convinced here that it's not even close. There is no margin. And so he gives these, these passages and, or these, um, these examples of, of, how, of how far we see it. We see, he says, death nor life. Even though death and life are both separators, we know that death is a separator here in this world, but life can be too. Uh, many of us don't probably, are, probably aren't best friends with people we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Life can be a separator. We go through things, and we, we go through experiences, and we get separated. These things are separators, but they can't separate us from the love of God. Angels nor rulers. That one sounds odd. Why would an angel come in and try to separate you from the love of God? It's, it's supposed to be far-fetched like that. It's supposed to be out there. Because even if an angel was to come to you and appear to you right now and say, if an angel was to come in and say, hey, the love of God is, is not secure, you can, lose, you can lose that love of God. The love of Christ is, 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 is wavering. It's, it's fleeting because of what you've done. You, you've, you've done something to make the love of Christ go away. We can hold firm on the word of God and say, angel, you're wrong. Even if, if an angel, not supposed to be far-fetched, an angel wouldn't actually come in and say this. But if an angel was to appear to us, we can hold truth to the scriptures. Or rulers. Now, when I hear rulers, I immediately think of a government person. But I think we can also substitute a, a uh, high caliber or a, a spiritual leader that may be famous. Let's just say that. Celebrity pastor. Someone was to come in and say, that was very well known of knowing their, their, their scriptures, a good speaker, someone who was influential in the evangelical world, they were to come to you and say, you need to, you need to trust in your works a little bit more. The love of Christ is good, but, but if you don't do this, if this thing right here, if you, don't, if you don't hold fast to this, then the love of Christ can go away. No. It doesn't matter who comes to us it doesn't matter how outlandish it may be. It doesn't matter how powerful they are in this world. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Present things or things to come, it doesn't matter. Time does not matter in this. It's interesting that he doesn't say past because past we already know. Everything that we've already been through has proven to us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So if nothing we've already been through could separate us from the love of Christ, nothing that we're in right now, and nothing that's ever going to come can separate us from the love of Christ, what is there? There is nothing. Not even in the space of time, anything that you're going through right now, or anything that you're worried about, anything that things to come can separate you from the love of Christ. How comforting is that? Nor powers. That's a, kind of a summary. All the things he's mentioned... If, you, if you've thought of something that Paul didn't mention specifically, it's included, that, nor powers. Anything, natural disasters, things that, that could happen, uh, nope, can't separate us from the love of Christ. Heights nor, nor depth. In all of space, if we could travel to, to every part of every galaxy and universe, do you know what we'd find? I don't know. I have no idea what we'd find. But I know... <laughs> I know that what we find won't separate us from the love of Christ. If we could dig down to the depths of this earth, we could go to every part of every galaxy or universe, there's nothing there 
that would separate us from the love of Christ. And so, so Paul lists all these things as an assurance, a further assurance of all these things. And then he says, anything else in creation? Anything else? What else is there? He's mentioned all these things, so this means anything. So maybe right now you're thinking in your head, yeah, but Adam, you, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the things that I that I've have to endure. You don't know the things that, that I've had to suffer with. You're right. I don't know those things, but God does. And God wants you to know that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever uh, struggle is, is maybe popping up in your head, whatever, whatever item that may be, you can trust in God. You can give that all to God. And, and, and we're not promising that, that your situation is automatically going to get better, that your situation is automatically going to improve. But we are promising that the main thing, the big idea, the main part, you can never lose. And that's the love of Christ. It cannot be taken away from you. It cannot be taken. Nothing can, can happen to it. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing anybody can do to us that can separate us from the love of Christ. So as we finish this section we need to finish with the same conviction that Paul has. Paul, Paul's, he's lived it. He's experienced it. He's now taught it. He's wrote it down. He's been inspired by the Holy Spirit to do this. But he's also personally convicted that this is true. So we need to come and have the same conclusion. We need to, to repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus. If, if we've done that, then this is a truth for you. If you've done these things, if you've if you are a Christian in here, you are a believer, you're bought with the blood of Christ, then this is true for you, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. This is meant to be a great comfort to the believer. We started this chapter with no condemnation, and we now close it with no separation. So, so what are you struggling with today? What, what in, in your life, that as you go through the mundane, or you, you have struggles, you have sufferings, what is it that you're tempted to doubt God's love? What is it where you're tempted to, to maybe say, I, I have to do this, I, I, have, to, I have to do this, or, or, or God's going to think a certain way of me, or if I don't do this, then, then God might love me less. What, what aspect of, of your life is that happening in? And if, if you see an aspect where, where that's happening, then what God is saying to you is that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. There's no, there's no one thing, there's, no, there's nothing out there that can take this away from you. So if you're a Christian here, yeah, this is meant to be comforting. This is meant to be encouraging. This is meant to, to come alongside you in your darkest hour. This is meant to, to give you life when it, when it seems like there's no hope. But it's also meant for just us to experience the love of God, for us to experience the love of Christ. And, and if we are experiencing that, and I pray that if you're a Christian here, you are, you are experiencing that love, then we need to share that good news with other people. It's, it's, not, it's not meant for us to just say, to us to receive the love of Christ and be, be happy with that, be joyful with that, content, and just, and just stay where we are. 
if you know what it's like to be comforted in dark times, if you know what it's like to receive the love of Christ, then there are people that you know right now that need to be told that. There are people right now who, who are suffering and don't have that hope. People that are, that are going through tribulations and distress, and they need to be told about the love of Christ. They need to know why, why are you joyous in hard times. It's because of what God has done for you. Now, everything we've talked about today is, and in all of Romans 8, is an assurance for a believer. It means if, if you've repented of your sins and you've placed your, your faith in the finished work of what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, you are assured that you are a believer. You are assured of your standing with God. And that is a standing of, of the, God does not see your sin, but he sees Christ's righteousness. And so, if that's not you today, then it's not meant to give you assurance. If you are in here today and you have not repented of your sins and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, then you should not walk away today thinking that you are assured of your salvation. You should not walk away today saying, well, that was a comforting passage. Because it's not meant to be comforting for you. It's meant to be comforting to a believer but the great thing is, is that the offer of salvation is available for you today. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you have not repented of your sins, if you have not come to Jesus, it's, the offer is here today. Today can be the day where, where these truths can be immediately applied to you. Your sins can be placed on Jesus. And even though hard things may come, hard things will come, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. Father, I thank you that nothing we do, no matter how, how, how vile it may be or how, how much it, it may be apart from you, Lord, nothing we can do or anything can be done against us that can separate you from us. The love that you have for us, it doesn't waver, it is constant. It is always being given to us. Lord, help us to remember that in hard times. Help us as we go through suffering to suffer, to suffer well, to suffer in a way that, that you are glorified, that you are honored. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place that we hold these truths deep in our hearts, that we hold them in a place where, where we always know them to be true when we face trials and we face sufferings. Lord, help us to leave this place with a desire for, uh, for those that don't know you yet, Lord. Help us to, to have a desire to, to tell someone this week of the love that you have for them. Lord, again, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for all the things you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing to Jesus, who, as Adam said, was crucified for us to save us and by his act of submission by his act of